You are listening to ReachMD, the only source for medical education and information that is on air, online, and on the go. Welcome to the Connect Dialogues, women's health education on ReachMD. You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Advances in Women's Health. Your host is Dr. Lauren Stryker. Assistant Clinical Professor of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Northwestern University Medical School, the Feinberg School of Medicine. With me today is Ms. Judy Florendo, the Midwest Regional Representative, Section on Women's Health of the American Physical Therapy Association and expert in the treatment of pelvic disorders. Today we are discussing the role of the pelvic physical therapist in treating pelvic pain and dyspareunia. Welcome, Ms. Florendo. Physicians generally treat pelvic pain with either medication or surgery, and there is now an appreciation that no matter what the etiology of the pain, a myofascial or a musculoskeletal disorder often compounds the problem and that medication and surgery simply aren't enough to alleviate the pain. An experienced pelvic physical therapist not only treats the source of the problem, but also is integral to determining the source of the problem. So how often do you see patients in your practice that have no specific diagnosis beyond, I have chronic pelvic pain? Every day. I'll even have a script from the physician that says CPP. All right. So how do you evaluate this patient to determine what the source of the pain is? Well, once again, we really start with a detailed evaluation. I want to know what is aggravating the pain, what relieves it, what are limitations in their activities and function. But asking a lot of detailed questions in a lot of related areas. In in pelvic pain, we really are looking at several different areas. We're looking to see how does the bladder feed into this? How Mm -hmm. does the bowel feed into this? What is sexual function like? It's really important to incorporate questions all around all of these areas. And after you take this detailed history, do you feel... Like in the majority of cases, you you know what the problem is, or you also have to rely on your exam? No, we do need to rely on the examination. And I always begin by looking at somebody in a standing position and really doing a general musculoskeletal evaluation. So a lot of external work. So why is it that posture has an impact on, on pelvic pain? What's the relationship? If you don't have good symmetry throughout the lumbopelvis, the spine and the pelvis, you will definitely have muscle imbalances. We're basically, we have two halves that create a whole. So if there are some muscle imbalances in the pelvic floor area, that can contribute to pain. If you think about it, there are 20 to 30 pairs of muscles that attach onto the pelvis. So this is an area that is really very, very ripe for, for problems and pain. You've looked at the patient's posture. What's the next step as part of your physical examination? Well, then we will take a look with either biofeedback or perhaps rehabilitative ultrasound imaging at some specific muscle function, such as the pelvic floor or a deep abdominal muscle or even a back muscle. We want to see, is there stability? Are they able to contract and relax that muscle correctly? And then that would be followed up with a digital examination. And when you do your digital examination, what exactly are you feeling for? We're feeling for density of tissue. That sounds so vague. If this is what you do all day long, you do develop a sense of that tissue feels very tight. It feels very short. There is a term called the short pelvic floor. I've never heard that. Can you describe what that is? 
Imagine that you have your shoulders tucked way up to your ears. And imagine what the muscles that are in your shoulders would feel like over a period of time. We all see people walking around like that, just sort of part of a stressful lifestyle. Well, in a very simplistic way, you can kind of think about that's happening at the pelvic floor. We are gripping and drawing up on our pelvic floor, and that's responding to a lot of daily stressful events. I'm not saying that that's the only reason why somebody would have a short pelvic floor, but that certainly contributes. So it's really feeling like a muscle that can't contract well. A short pelvic floor might feel weak when when it contracts. You don't feel the nice lift that you might feel with somebody that has no problem, it might feel like it doesn't really go very far. But like I tell my patients, what that's like is sort of like your pelvic floor muscles are an elevator in a high-rise building and the the elevator, your pelvic floor, is stuck in the middle of the building. So it doesn't go up very far and it certainly doesn't go down to ground floor anymore. So when you're doing this digital exam, this internal digital exam in a woman with, with pelvic pain, do you sometimes identify a specific spot that the pain is originating from? I mean, can you say it's this muscle or it's this area, or is it more of just a generalized pelvic floor tenderness? You can have either case, but if you do find specific tender points, that's very easy then to treat. You know that here is your tender or trigger point, and if you do some myofascial work, when you say myofascial work, I mean, that, of course, means a lot to you. It doesn't mean a whole lot to me. What, what do you do with myofascial work if you have a specific tender point that you've identified? Well, now keep in mind that we have one finger and sometimes two, if we're lucky. Mm-hmm. We're really needing to do much of what we do on the outside of the body, which is you locate these areas of tenderness and with, you know, judicious use of, of pressure and is it massagey? I mean, I'm, I'm trying to imagine what it is you're doing. If you have your finger and it's on this hot spot, if you will, do you press it, do you massage it, do you release it? With judicious pressure and being very mindful of how this is affecting your patient, you will apply pressure. And the idea behind this when you're doing this in other parts of the body is that you're helping to break up muscle spasm ostensibly. So how long do you hold the pressure? Oh, it can vary. It can vary. It can be several seconds to a minute or two. And then over what period of time of this sort of treatment do you actually see relief? Sometimes it's a one-time session. If somebody has not had pelvic pain for a very long time, say they've had a a surgical procedure or they've had childbirth, you know, that baby coming down the birth canal can leave behind some bruised tissue as well, which for the most part we all get through. But when we find those kinds of trigger points that haven't been around for a long time, those are very easy to get rid of. And just doing some sleeping motion sometimes or intermittent pressure, some off-on pressure, very often that goes away. You've improved circulation and the person no longer has the same level of pain or hopefully no pain. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Advances in Women's Health from ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Lauren Stryker, and I'm speaking with Ms. Judy Florendo. We are discussing the role of the pelvic physical therapist in treating pelvic pain. All right, so you've pressed on this anatomic tender spot. If that doesn't work, I guess what I'm trying to understand, is the pain from an inappropriate contraction? Is it from inflammation? Are there other things going on that's creating the pain? Definitely all of the above. You might not even do internal work. You might actually be able to influence that pain and the hypertonicity or elevated resting tone of that pelvic floor by doing something external, doing some structural work. 
And we physical therapists do this all the time. So in addition to the manual therapy inside structural work, biofeedback, I know that, that you do work with that. How about injectables? I'm thinking if you're dealing with inappropriate muscle contraction in the pelvis, what about if you just inject a little Botox in there? Won't that take care of the problem? <laughs> I know Botox is being used in some cases for certain kinds of vulvar pain syndromes, but all the time. It's very important. If there's one thing I could get across here, it's very important that we have a team approach. I am always looking for good physicians that will work with me in trying to get their patient better, perhaps using doing trigger point injection, for instance, mm-hmm. or prescribing medication. You have to do that medical management, and we cannot do it all. So it's very important to have really good communication with the physician. And likewise, the physician needs, of course, to communicate with the physical therapist. You know, I know that you sometimes utilize electrical stimulation of the pelvic floor, which to me sounds a little bit like a medieval torture technique. In what scenarios would such a therapy be appropriate, and is this painful? First of all, it's not painful. Most of the time, people actually like it. Okay. It really actually is, it feels good. It's, it's very soothing. We use interferential current for pain very often, or other transcutaneous electrical nerve stimulation. And this can be at varying frequencies and and other parameters. But in general, this would work the best with somebody that may have more acute or recent onset of pelvic pain, or if somebody is having a flare or an exacerbation of Mm -hmm. their pain. So with that, I generally will use an external application of electrodes as opposed to something that's internal. Internal electrode might be used more often in the cases of urinary incontinence. I'd like to switch gears a little bit and and talk about dyspareunia. You know, gynecologists are pretty good at identifying and treating dryness or if there's a pelvic mass as a source of painful intercourse. But once we've ruled that out, we kind of get stuck. So can you tell us a little bit about how you approach the evaluation and treatment of dyspareunia? Sure. As pelvic floor physical therapists, we really need to have a good sense of, is this pain something that is more muscular, or is it truly something that a person needs much more medical management of? So in some cases, we'll see a person that has plain vaginismus, and that's going to be very straightforward. That's someone that has a muscle that is in spasm does not allow for anything to go in there, so sexual intercourse is going to be painful, and certainly a gyne exam is going to be painful. And we're not dealing with feelings of inflammation. Women don't typically describe a burning sensation with this. It might be more of a sensation of tightness and definitely some pain. So what do you specifically do to treat a patient with vaginismus? Well, once again, we're looking at the pelvic floor muscles to see how much they may be contributing. Are they tight? Are they short? Are there tender and trigger points? What is the excursion of that tissue when they're doing a pelvic floor muscle contraction? Can they really, really relax their pelvic floor? So we may do some manual therapy, as I described earlier, pressing on these trigger or tender points. And then again, we might also do some biofeedback training where they can start to look and see how are they able to influence that resting tone of their pelvic floor. And that might incorporate some breathing and relaxation exercises while they're doing biofeedback training. So do these patients have homework? Is is this like traditional physical therapy where you give the patient exercises to do at home? Definitely. Most often I give most of my patients 
the combination of abdominal massage work that they should do and breathing. Mm-hmm. Breathing is really essential in trying to normalize pelvic floor muscle tone. So what about vulvodynia as a cause of dyspareunia? How do you work with that? Well, we need to figure out a couple of things. Is it generalized? Is it just more of the entire vulva that feels sore? They may have tenderness when there is clothing touching the area or they don't tolerate bicycle riding or is it more localized and in both cases whether it's generalized or localized is it provoked is it when something is trying to go in there or is it unprovoked they always have it or intermittently have it even without anything going in the area localized can also be provoked or unprovoked and then you can have a mixed bag so we need to look and and sort this out in order to figure out all right where do we go from here Do I need to send this person back to the physician because I really think that they need to be taking a medication that will be determined by the physician, but in the antidepressant family or anticonvulsant? Thanks to Judy Florendo, who's been our guest. We have been discussing how pelvic physical therapy is instrumental in the treatment of pelvic pain and dyspareunia. I'm Dr. Lauren Stryker. Please visit our website at reachmd.com, which features our entire library through on-demand podcasts. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Advances in Women's Health with your host, Dr. Lauren Stryker. For more details on the interviews and conversations in this week's show or to download the segment, please go to reachmd.com forward slash women's health. You've been listening to the Connect Dialogues, Women's Health Education. If you missed any part of this program or would like to hear more like it, visit www.reachmd.com forward slash connect dialogues.